tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Falcon Lake UFO, Inside Frontera, and Disappearing Dad. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted. An unsolved mysteries podcast, and Crystal, we got some some big news that was out in the news recently, right? Yeah, <laughs> big. Well, yeah, I imagine it's big news for probably for people who enjoy this type of podcast and subject matter. <laughs> uh, so there was, I think, in the last week, there was a uh, leak of some uh, Department of Defense slash. Naval Navy <laughs> pilots. Yeah, it was Navy pilots. Um, there was some UFO footage that was taken off the coast of San Diego. Oh, really? In 2019. Mm. And the footage, if you haven't seen it, is it's kind of like a it's it's unfortunate because all of this stuff is recorded off of like radar or scanners. So it's not super high resolution, but also the speeds at which the pilots are traveling versus the UFOs would make it kind of hard for it to be in HD anyway. But uh, it's a little, it's kind of like a, an o, like a black circle or oval. Um, and they, they're able to track it with their scanner. So they're fixing on it. So it's really there, but uh, okay. I guess it was, it was around for a while before splashing into the ocean. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about these like UFO uh, footages <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What's the plural of footage? There's I guess it's just footage, right? Footage. I, yeah. Uh, I think, futai. Yeah. <laughs> UFO futai. Uh, is that uh, the uh, commentary of the pilots? Because most of them really can't believe what they're seeing. And I guess there's going to be a 60 minute segment that either came out on Sunday, uh, Sunday, the May, whatever yesterday was, May 16th. I think either came out yesterday or it's coming out this Sunday. But by the time this podcast will be released, the 60 minute segment with the interviews with a lot of these pilots and a sort of, I, there's a guy who is getting these, uh, this footage released to him or leaked to him. Uh, the department of defense verified this one from 2019 was in fact from a Naval pilot, camera or scanner so they're not denying it at this point but anyway if you guys want to check that out i just thought that would be uh interesting if you hadn't heard at this point which will be like three weeks after the fact (laughs) of this coming out um robbie like i guess congress also is going to be having a hearing soon about these uh unidentified flying objects or aerial anomalies whatever they're calling them to not sound crazy uh, what do you like? What do you make of that? Oh, uh, I think I mean we've discussed this sort of general topic before, and I'm pretty, pretty much still solid on my my view that uh, you know the various authorities in charge of all this information basically just looked at how insane civilization has become in the last couple of years and just concluded that like <laughs> there will never be a better time to just dump this information out there and have it not make any waves. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, it's very strange. I don't, I know we have a lot of listeners who aren't in the United States. Um, you know, we have a lot of listeners in Canada and Australia and the UK. And uh, thank you for listening. Also, the th- situation with sort of television news and most mainstream, the mainstream media in the United States is hyper focused on electoral politics these days, too. So I think mm-hmm. this. I think, Robbie, you're right. Like, they, you know, they can drop an insane bit of piece of information. (laughs) And kind of, it doesn't really get picked up the way that it would have, you know, perhaps when Unsolved Mysteries was on. This would have been huge news. Well, you you know how, like, every movie or TV show that dealt with, like, aliens or anything, they always talked about, like, if the truth was really revealed, like, I mean, we'd all just be running around naked in the streets, just screaming at the top of our lungs, mm-hmm. uh, having realized like just this this mind shattering uh, revelation of 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 mm-hmm. what everything everything we ever thought as a species for 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 as long as our existence was was has just been pulverized, and and now it turns out that we're so fucking insane <laughs> that that things like you know aliens are real or jesus has come back are probably mm-hmm. like just trivial bumps uh, uh now uh yeah i think i i think i tend to agree with that i also think that um you know i tend i tend to think alongside you that this isn't necessarily extraterrestrial right uh in origin and um i think there's a lot of questions left to be answered i think i think it's confirmed that we have that navy pilots and people which we will get into in a moment have seen things that cannot be explained but Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily yeah think that means that they've come from outer space i'm you know i was thinking what you said about like the entire conceit of the men in black movies those they have those mind wipe things that the men in black would like i mean the entire conceit of that movie is that there's this bureau that is in charge of uh extraterrestrial slash human relations and that like people can't know but i i think i tend to to lean towards the more like Star Trek arrival type um, view, which is that there is an opportunity here if <laughs> Fatelands are visiting <laughs> Earth for leadership, perhaps to say, you know, maybe our problems aren't, you know, this is just splitting hairs at this point. I, we need to. I, I like the come together op- or something. I like the optimistic <laughs> trek route you were going because when you started talking about this, yeah. my mind was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." You know, if aliens are real and stuff, they can just conquer us, and then I won't ha- won't have to worry about any of this bullshit that we're, that we're up to anymore. <laughs> Uh, well, for, you know, for the I record, also think- I, I, I would like to emphasize that my allegiance is towards humanity and not the aliens for, for any listeners out <laughs> Well, I'm out glad there. you're putting that on the record right now. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes up later. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm just like, well, what if it's a situation also like in Star Trek where they're kind of just in the observing phase? Mm hmm of humanity and they're like "Mm, 
<laughs> not yet. <laughs> they are not not ready for first contact yet, at least broadly speaking, right? Maybe a few of them are. Maybe yeah. this guy in Manitoba, Canada, in the 1960s was ready. Oh, you thinking that's it? where we're going? Yes. Let's talk about Manitoba. Canada. Manitoba. Yeah, we're going to go to Manitoba, Canada, because this is a season five, episode eight of Unsolved Mysteries. And it opens with a two-parter UFO case. Yes. We're going to travel through space and time across North America. We're going to go to 1967. Specifically, Falcon Lake, Manitoba. Holler if you hear me, if we got any listeners out in the <laughs> massive metropolis of Falcon Lake, Manitoba. Um, so Stephen Mikulak is, uh, he was prospecting? I don't know what he was prospecting for, but he, he, he was out there. He was like, a, it's, I got the impression he was like, he was like a rock collector, right? He liked uh, just, he just, he's yeah. one of those guys who's really into rocks. He likes finding different types of rocks. I'm, I'm not really into yeah, rocks. Yeah, I felt like but, he was a... You know, more power to, to him. Amateur geologist. Yeah, amateur yeah. geologist situation. But maybe he was out there for work. It was really unclear. Right, right. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so he's out He's out there in the woods and he's prospecting. The reenactment has him like with a little pickaxe chipping away at some kind of rock. And, uh, you know, then, you know, Stephen Mikulak at the time of the segment was still alive. So we get most of this narrative from his point of view. And he is, and this is important, he is a Polish immigrant mm-hmm. to Canada. So he's multilingual and he's also the cutest little old man you could possibly <laughs> hope for. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> uh, he's he's great. <laughs> he's 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 a he's a decent enough chap though. I don't know. I, I don't I, I realize describing UFOs as cigarette or cigar shape is is pretty standard, but mm. I don't I don't understand what kind of cigars he's smoking where there's like a huge bulge in the middle because <laughs> he describes these. I mean, I get like sometimes some, you you know, if a UFO craft is like a perfect disc from from a, looking at from mm-hmm. the side, it looks, you know, you could say, oh, like a cigar. But this clearly had like stuff on top and stuff on bottom. So, though, yeah, amid, I mean, amid, maybe when he was maybe he said c- cigar, but what he meant. Was marijuana joint? Because sometimes I've heard those can be fatter in the middle. Oh, um, okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but maybe that's just like how it came out. He said it was like cigar shaped or like hand, like hand rolled cigarette shaped. Maybe there's a language issue. Yeah, maybe it's a language issue, or maybe yeah. he's just not a smoker. You know what I mean? <laughs> he didn't like, strike just me had as to one. Think yeah. of what it would look like. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's out there. And he says, you know, down in the lake, he hears these these geese take off in a panic. I let's mm-hmm. assume they're Canadian geese because this is Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, do you think in, do you think they just call them geese? Canada, <laughs> they're not Canadian geese. They're just geese. You got a problem with Canada gooses? You got a problem with me? And I suggest you let that one marinate. I was. Uh, did I ever mention the time I was in Melbourne, Australia, for a giant science fiction convention? What? No. <laughs> Never okay. uh, in your life have you mentioned that to me. <laughs> you were in, you went to Australia? Yeah. 
for. I thought you had never left the country for some reason. Uh, well, that's that's an understandable impression to get. <laughs> but I thought you had told me that. Like you, those words had come out of your mouth. I've I've never left the country. Well, I mean, maybe but this is beyond the. What's going on? Please just tell your Australian story. I'm so confused. Okay. Anyway, so I was eating at the Hard Rock Cafe, uh, a little ways from the convention center. <laughs> And I was uh, going through the condiments on the table. And, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. ketchup, there's some barbecue sauce or whatever. And, then and you know, there was mustard. Like, you know, normal, the normal sort of bland, you know, the normal looking mustard that you expect, right? It's in a... Mm-hmm. And I pick it up and I look at the label. And it says mm-hmm. American mustard. That's weird because normal mustard to me is French's mustard. That's the brand. Right. Fr- right. Yellow French- mustard is French's. I mean, it's not French mustard. It's French's. Yeah, like, the, the company. Yeah, French's. Yes, mustard. French's. French's. Right. Mu- French's mustard. The, the 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 exact sort of mustard that you think of when you think of French's mustard, and and in at least in Australia, at that one Hard Rock Cafe, you know about. Mm-hmm. The, 15 20 minute walk away from the convention center was mm-hmm. the mustard was labeled as american mustard and i just sat there like interesting dumbfounded staring at that and i was like is that what they th- is that what they think that this mustard is is american mustard if this is american mustard then what 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 what's non uh, i was just yeah mine mine was blown um why are mm. we talking about mustard again because of uh, Canadian geese, and I was saying, Cana- you can- think in Canada they're just called geese. Canadian geese. Uh, well, I'm not an avian yeah. expert, so I, I guess I was only Yeah, able- I just wonder if it's, like, redundant, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. But also, you've just dropped an enormous bomb with this Australian story. Oh, God. <laughs> but I feel, like, I feel like we can get, we'll talk about that after the pod. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Stephen Michalak, right, he hears these geese take off, and he, yeah, as you mentioned, he looks up in the sky, and in the reenactment, sure enough, we see two kind of in-profile cigarette or cigar-shaped craft mm-hmm. um, lift up from the lake area, and then I guess one of them comes up and over, and then at the top of the hill or the mountain that Stephen is prospecting on... It lands, right? Yes, yes. And uh, and Stephen's like, "What's going on?" And so you know, he comes to some normal conclusions that like maybe it's experimental, you know, Canadian or American aircraft or something. So he, you know, in the reenactment, he gets right up on it too. Or the reenactor does gets right up yeah. on that craft, and he starts, you know, first he starts in English saying like, "Hello, uh, <laughs> is any." buddy out there i don't know but he he was saying in the reenactment and then he tries it again in polish and so the reenactor is asking you know is anybody there in polish and then he asks in german like do you speak german and then i think eventually he tries russian and uh, there's no reply but when he comes up to the craft and we get like a decent cgi early 
mm-hmm. you know, kind of low budget computer reconstruction of this craft that Stephen comes up on. I, you know, I feel like as we go through our seasons of Unsolved Mysteries, they're getting better and better at like rendering. Right. Oh, UFOs. yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And considering we were all watching this in standard definition in the 90s anyway, it would have looked pretty convincing, I think. So oh, totally. Like, I he, mean, yes. my, my mind would have been blown seeing this as a kid at the mm-hmm. date of airing. Like, whoa, it looks like it looks that looks like an alien spacecraft. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. And uh, when Steven gets up on it, he sees that there's a door open. He looks in the door and it kind of looks in there. It kind of looks like the bridge of a Star Trek set. <laughs> like there's some handrails and some. <laughs> I was going to say, he looks there's some immediately. some little flashing lights and stuff. He, makes, he looks immediately into like the, the, the warp core of a Star Trek ship. <laughs> right. Right. It kind of yeah. does look like engineering. I guess not really the bridge I mean, yeah, uh, in but- there. And I'm sure that's. Probably, maybe, (laughs) either from Steven's description or however the CGI artist decided to render that, it definitely looked similar. And so Steven's like, he's not able to go in the craft, but it's almost as soon as he gets up and starts looking looking in there that the door closes. And, um, you know, in the reenactment, Steven's wearing these, like, big, thick work gloves that he's been using for prospect, and he reaches out to touch the craft, and it's so hot that he has to, like, even with the gloves on. He gets mm-hmm. his fingertips burned and then uh, the craft takes off and there's some kind of uh, gas or something coming out of a vent that's released and it hits Steven uh, in the chest and like his shirt catches on fire. He gets set on fire. <laughs> in the reenactment. Yeah, he gets set on fire. This is it was. Yeah, I mean, there was just a lot. I mean, imagine what we're asking of this reenactor, right? He needs to pronounce <laughs> things in three languages. <laughs> <laughs> right they're gonna set him on fire <laughs> like they actually show him being his shirt being caught on fire like this is some you know this is a little bit more than i think most UNO ufo reenactors are being asked to do <laughs> i suspect on that Mysteries. is yes yes i i, I don't remember any because because this is the first time where i was like wondering if like a stunt person person was had been employed or something because i was like I mean, rarely have we ever seen a situation where, you know, a stunt was was being done in, in conjunction with one of these segments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, before we've had some like radiation burn makeup jobs. Right. Like these, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. No one's been set on fire. <laughs> Yeah, as a result of uh, a UFO. So Stephen is, uh, he has uh, like some uh, series of burns on his abdomen uh, that we see that are kind of in a grid-like pattern as if it had come from the gas out of the vent, right? Those little streams had left a mark um, on his abdomen. And he, uh, you know, he's very disoriented after this encounter and he goes, you know, he knows he's got to get out of there and get some medical help because he's been burned very badly. And uh, he goes to his gear and he tries to use his compass and his compass is spinning around. It can't find north. Um, you know, that can happen a lot, I think, depending on, especially if you're a geologist, you know, like if you're around in a really like highly magnetic area with like a lot of iron in the soil, sometimes your, your compass won't work very well. Oh, but anyway, it all leads, 
it leads to Steven like being so disoriented and it takes him like nine hours to get home to get back to his car and drive home and stuff. Yeah. And um, so he goes to the hospital. Uh, he's feeling very nauseous and confused. He's got burns on his body. Um, you know, the doctors remark that that something has definitely happened to him. Uh, it's not in his mind. And they yeah. record it. And um, I think eventually they come to the conclusion because he was not irradiated at this time. They didn't pick up any. It didn't look like radiation burns. They decided they were chemical burns on yes. his body. Um, which this matters because the radiation thing will come back later. So, uh, yeah. So for a few weeks, Stephen is just feeling really sick. He loses a bunch of weight. Um, he's throwing up all the time. He used to some kind of but like word. And I think it was Polish for vomiting, <laughs> but I don't remember, <laughs> but he uses it in the segment. And then, um, his now adult son kind of describes that, you know, Steven for several weeks after the incident had this weird, like ozone sulfuric odor to him. And it wouldn't come off when he showered or bathed or anything. He just kind of had this persistent odor. And, um, so, a few weeks after this incident, I guess when Steven's feeling better, him and a friend go up back there. Um, in the reenactment, it shows that there are several, like, amateur or real geologists out there. Um, they're digging through the soil. Um, I think they went out there with a Geiger counter as well. Yeah. Yeah. They, they um, tools. And, yeah. Yeah. So, the Geiger counter measuring radiation, and um, I think they found... I think that time they did find that there was a, like almost a dangerous level of radiation at the landing site. Eventually the Royal Canadian Mounted Police make their way out there, investigate the site, um, see that there were burn marks in the soil, that something had been there. Again, there was the radi like a dangerous amount of radiation. So in the segment though, the radiation is chalked up to, uh, they did a soil composition uh, test and there was like an abnormal, there was like a vein of radium. <laughs> in that part right. of Falcon Lake. <laughs> yeah, there was just, it was just radioactive all on its own, which is like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the occurrence of radium is naturally, but that seems like it'd be kind of unusual. Yes. I would, I would think, um, well, oh, Christo. I mean, in addition to not really being an expert on <laughs> avian related matters, I'm not really a <laughs> geologist. Uh, I'm more of a social yeah. scientist guy. Hey, myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, if any geologists want to tweet at us or let let me know, like how unusual or uh, or typical it is to find some amount, a dangerous amount of radium just in <laughs> the soil, <laughs> um, and specifically in Manitoba, if you know anything about that. But yeah, that's sort of unusual. And um, you know, sadly though, Stephen, you know, he was feeling better and then like months go by and then the burns reappear and he starts feeling really sick again. Like, yeah. you know, he went in uh, to the doctors again and we get this really grotesque makeup job of these just it's it's impressive. Scabby. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just really awful burns all over his abdomen and there's another there's a professor from the University of Manitoba, I guess. You know, from, from a university. Canadian professor <laughs> yeah. from a university that is kind of weighing in on this situation. And he's met with Stephen and he said, you know, if, if Stephen will let you, you can 
though the burns have receded and Stephen is doing better now in his 70s, um, you can still feel the subcutaneous uh, scar tissue where all yeah. those burns are. Yeah. On his body. And I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any like really serious scars on your body from anything? No, I mean, I don't think you could. I don't think uh, I think my appendix removal scar is is has long since disappeared. Um, it's not really. Yeah, I don't think I have any any scarring uh, beyond that. Um, well, I my experience with scarring, and I think most anybody who's had like any kind of major surgery <laughs> or burn or has been in an accident or anything like that, is you know that the scar tissue is harder. Than the flesh around it. So when hmm. your skin scars up, it usually becomes a denser, harder okay. uh, texture. So, um, so he's and I guess Stephen refers to his scars as his buttons all over his body. Um, so then, so at some point, weeks after this, another team goes up there to investigate this landing area, and they pull out. Uh, some pieces of almost pure silver that have been galvanized with some kind of radioactive material. I don't remember what they said in the segment, but the I, professor again is showing us like, you know, at first you couldn't handle these pieces of silver because they were so irradiated. I guess after so many years, it's fine now um, because, you know, we're in the 90s and this happened in 1967. Yeah. But... You know, the professor believes that this stuff, you know, because it was missed the first time when two teams went up there, you know, and the police went up there, uh, they think he thinks someone planted it to kind of like lend legitimacy to the story. He doesn't think Stephen did it. He doesn't think Stephen has anything to do with this. No, just somebody with like just, just some well-meaning. So who was like, I wish people would believe Stephen more. <laughs> so they go and they, they do that. <laughs> right. Um mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we leave it, though. There's, you know, we have Stephen's story. Something medically definitely happened to him. And, uh, you know, as to whether or not the uh, silver pieces that were found were part of a hoax or not, it doesn't really matter because there was definitely, um, you know, a burn scar, not only on Stephen, but on the mountaintop where he was, where he said it happened. I mean, something definitely happened, right? something yeah yeah i mean what but yeah i mean the, the, i mean i mean he has the scars to show that something was w went on mm -hmm. um you know the thing that just stayed with me from this segment and i couldn't i just couldn't stop thinking about it was trying to figure out what were these aliens up to right like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, the, the two ships, they're down by the lake. The, 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 the geese or Canadian geese or American mustard gets scared and flies away. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I assume they were down there dumping off uh, a shipment of Bigfoots or something. Uh, then they, they're, they're, right. fl they're flying away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're flying away. And then one, like, lands uh, on, the, on the side of the hill. Uh, and and remains there long enough for Stephen to, to to catch up to it, and then they 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 open the door to the ship and allow him to like mm -hmm. shout his weird human 
you know, things into the ship. And then they close the door of the ship. And they mm-hmm. and they take off with him getting blasted with, with some stuff and getting set on fire after while they leave. And mm-hmm. uh, like I'm I'm looking at this chain of events, right? And I I have to ask myself, were there like just a couple of assholes piloting this ship who was like, hey, there's there's a human down there. Let's uh let's land real quick. I have a <laughs> I have a pretty funny idea. <laughs> Right? <laughs> like, wh- wh- um, wh- why else would an alien ship land? It opens its door for a brief moment, not to mm-hmm. not to yeah. bring anything in or, t- or disgorge anything out, just to open the door and then close it back up again and leave. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I really, Stephen should just count himself lucky that he didn't get, like, put in some sort of fire in the sky type scenario. <laughs> Well, I mean, he he was very ill. Yeah, but you I know. mean, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, but at least he didn't have to. I, I mean, if given the choice between like being ill for for many many months or being dragged on board a mm-hmm. alien spaceship, I, mean, I would choose mm-hmm. the former over the latter. Did I mention I had a coworker who? He had a copy of Travis Walton's book uh, uh, about that, mm-hmm. about his experience, and it was signed by the author. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, if you're listening, uh, Bob, um, just name, just drop in, drop in that reference. You, you have that book. Uh, I guess like, <laughs> I think it was Bob's father, if I recall correctly. He, he got the book autographed by Walton at some place where mm-hmm. Walton was giving a, a talk. I guess like yeah. I guess the the experience Walton relays is dramatically different from the from the movie because the movie the aliens are portrayed mm-hmm. as uh, you know having so, you know sort of a malicious intent of some sort or just coldly like apathetic uh, like you know you know they're just dealing with a rat that they're gonna dissect or whatever, whereas Walton described mm-hmm. like. Like when he got like knocked to the ground by a UFO that like when the aliens brought him on board, even though it was sort of like it was a terrifying experience, he very much had the impression that that it was sort of like a like like if you hit an animal on the road and you're like, oh, no, and you, you grab it and you're, you're like taking it to the vet. Like, I got to I got to undo this th- the horrible thing that I just did. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Like. Yeah, like that. The I mean, he didn't sense maliciousness from them. They're just like, um, uh, they're like they're they're trying to like get him to n- not be dead and then dump him back <laughs> out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so weird, weird behavior on these aliens' part. What what were they doing? Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe maybe Stephen in our case was just roadkill. <laughs> like they accidentally. <laughs> blasted him um i'm also thinking you know maybe they the two craft were on their way back up to outer space or the atmosphere or whatever and uh they uh like someone farted and so they had to crack a window real quick before they could <laughs> sadly i can't come up with a better explanation than that so <laughs> i mean that's all i got i don't know man this is unsolved it's unsolved yeah. mystery probably Thanks. won't ever be solved no. In Stephen's case. Rarely are these UFO segments ever solved. 
Your scientific illiteracy makes me shudder. And I wouldn't flaunt your ignorance by telling anyone that you saw anything last night other than the planet Venus. Anyway, do you want... <laughs> well, we'll leave it to Congress next week, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's in their hands now. Yeah, that's their problem. Um, do you want to take a trip to Louisiana? Uh, I would love to take a trip to Louisiana, but don't we have a segment before that? Is this not AJ? AJ was not from Louisiana. AJ was from Louisiana, but don't we have... Do we have a segment before AJ? <laughs> oh boy, this, this episode's right going to get interesting. Uh, it, it was like a orange is the new black type situation. There's oh, a, was that before Louisiana? It was. I thought that was the last segment. Okay, if, I'm sorry, but, everyone. But if you want, we can we can mix it up, and I can just do no, the AJ okay. one. Okay. I mean, that's. I just remembered it being AJ, and then um, the California segment. No, so we're gonna go to California, not Louisiana. And Connor, if you want to cut out that last minute of bullshit, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> So listen, this this segment gets introduced by Robert Stack being like, you know, is there corruption in the California criminal justice system at this prison? And let's just assume always the answer is yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In this in this particular situation, we kind of we kind of get a tail spun for us by um, a former guard at uh, Frontera State penitentiary for women Mm -hmm. uh gosh what's her name i don't remember marilyn well are we talking about that we hear all this from are we talking about the guard who vanished or the one who uh witnessed some of the corruption the one who was kind of the whistleblower i'm trying to remember her name i I think i think you're right that it was marilyn is, is is the name of that individual okay so so most of this point of view stuff comes from Marilyn. Um, however, Jessalyn Rich is sort of the the primary victim yes. that we're going to discuss in this situation. So uh, Jessalyn Rich Rich was uh, a security guard at Frontera Penitentiary, and um, this is yeah, it's a women's penitentiary in Southern California. Uh, so. <sighs> The running theory is that there was some kind of drug ring that was being run between some of the prison guards and some of the inmates. And there was a particular situation where one of the inmates was found dead in her cell. And for whatever reason, the the leadership at the prison decided not to call the county coroner until she'd been in there for three days. So they just left a dead body. and this, Which is... Uh, I, w- I wish it was unbelievable, but it is pretty shocking, um, in general that they would just leave before even contacting the coroner to come get, or at least not mo- or move the body to maybe storage or the medical facility. <laughs> they don't do any of that. They just leave <laughs> right. it in the cell. And, um, you know, Jessalyn, um, starts to kind of get this idea that maybe something is going on. And I don't remember whether it was Marilyn. Oh, uh, um, 
No, Betty Thompson is another one, too. I think we hear from both Marilyn and Betty Thompson in this situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm sorry. These are all just like middle aged women with really short haircuts. That kind of <laughs> they're all the virtu- same to me. They they all they're all virtually indistinguishable. Um. Uh. Yeah. No way. I yeah. think Be- Betty Thompson was the one who Marilyn witnessed Jessalyn get freaked out because of some guy who walked yeah. into a bar, and then Betty's the one who like right. knows about the prisoner. Yes. Right. Um, it's yeah, and it's kind of unsolved mysteries that's tracing the thread between all of these circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think when we get to the end of it, it's not going to be very clear what happened. But uh, so, Betty, Betty's the one that's t- telling the tale, and basically what happened is, uh, you know, there was the is- issue with the body not being removed. And then there was another issue where she said there was one inmate that was who she said pretty mouthy and pretty defiant. And, you know, when Betty was doing her rounds at some point, a male guard came to this inmate cell and wanted to enter the cell. And and the inmate became like terrified immediately and said, you know, don't let him please don't let him in here. And Betty got between at least in the reenactment, got between the guard and the cell door and said you're you can't just you can't just go in an inmate cell unless you have cause like you can't just go in there Mm -hmm. and you'll have to go through me first because i think she legitimately feared for this inmate and what was going to happen um so then uh i don't know that there was any evidence that there that uh, betty Marilyn or jesselyn actually saw any drug training going on um but we'll get to that in a second. So Betty's telling us that she was forced to also, because of something that had happened, forced under duress. She was questioned. Her job was threatened over like a period of six hours to sign this document saying that the inmate that had died had died of diabetes or something like that. And she's just like, look, I don't know that to be true. I'm not signing that. And so eventually they intimidated her enough that she signed this document, but then she added this note underneath it saying like, I signed this under duress. This is not my sworn statement. Um, eventually that document was replaced by one, according to Betty with her forged signature on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Betty's definitely catching on that. There's some, whether or not it's drug related or whatever, there's some pretty deep rot going on at her workplace. Yeah. Uh, she starts getting threatening phone calls as well at home. No, I, I like how the, the, the sergeant who, like, immediately after the reenactment where she gets the threatening phone call, there's a reenactment of the sergeant just, like, walking out in the hallway while Betty's walking by. is like, hey, have you been getting any weird and menacing phone calls or people are telling you they're going to? And then she just literally verbatim <laughs> describes. You know, like, says exactly what the, the phone call said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty spooky. Uh, but the important part in all of this, though, that I kind of skipped over is what happens to Jesslyn Rich three years before uh, the inmate death and this uh, interrogation of uh, Betty, which is Jesslyn was out with a co-worker, Marilyn, at a country western bar, and uh, yeah, um, Jessalyn sees a man come in and gets kind of freaked out about it. 
um, excuses herself to the restroom. And the last time anyone saw Jessalyn alive was it was Marilyn. And she saw this man who'd come into the bar follow Jessalyn into the bathroom. And that's the last uh. time anyone saw anything. So, you know, I think there was also her uh, Jessalyn's family after her disappearance started going through some of her things and found some notes to the effect that there was something going on at the prison that she knew about. Mm-hmm. It was pretty vague um, in the segment. Uh, so that which leads us to the threats that are now three years later being issued against Betty. And so when Betty's getting these threatening phone calls, she's like, well, you, you know, the fo- the voice on the phone is saying, you better be careful. What happened to Jessalyn Rich is going to happen to you. And then there's the issue with, you know, the the dead inmate and having to sign all those documents. Um, so. Anyway, something very clearly is bad <laughs> here. Yeah. Yes. Um, Thompson, Betty Thompson was also after the calls was shot at from a moving car. Um, and then after she gave, as the police are taking her report, she gets a phone call saying next time we won't miss. Uh, so the news, the Orange County Register, um, starts taking accounts of the drug dealing corruption that was allegedly going on at Frontier Prison. Um, Betty and five other guards ended up testifying in state California state Senate hearings over the alleged events offenses. So I think whatever it is, they didn't really didn't get into it in the segment. They just kind of alluded to it, but obviously there were concrete things that Betty and other guards had seen going on at the prison. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so basically what it comes down to at the end of the segment is Jessalyn Rich is still missing. Um, and the family of Jessalyn and a lot of these, her f- former co-workers kind of assume she knew too much about the corruption at the prison, was going to say something, and was effectively silenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and weirdly, it's like, we don't get any update. Like, I didn't even, we didn't even get an update, like, Frontier Prison and State Prison has since been closed down, or the State Senate found this and this. Uh, conclusion like there's no update at all at the end of this right which is truly bizarre this this yeah this this episode is full of segments without updates yeah um there is an update in the wiki though so if we want an update oh okay (laughs) um so technically this case is unresolved technically yeah um However, in June of 1992, so this would have been a couple months before this episode aired, Jessalyn's remains were identified um, and dismembered and whatever and found in San Bernardino in 1985. So huh. they found the re- they found the remains. Um, they be- the police believe it's Jessalyn, um, but they're not. They have they were given basically they were given DNA by the family members to saying here, if you want to match the remains, we'll give you our DNA if you want to make, you know, find out for sure. I don't know that according to this update, like the police apparently never did anything with that. Hmm. OK. <laughs> um, so also um, the police believe they identified Jesslyn's killer and it was a man named David Daniel Reeb- Rebus or Reeves. Uh, he was an ex-con. He worked at that bar 
where they were at when um, Jessalyn was last seen alive. Uh, he, I guess he had been a suspect in the case for years. He wasn't mentioned in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, though, weirdly. I think maybe because it didn't fit with the corruption narrative, because this guy had nothing to do with the prison. Ah, I see. Um, a lot of... Yeah, so there were eyewitnesses that saw Jessalyn passed out in the back of Rebus's car that night. Um, I guess over time before Rebus passed away in 1990 of a heart attack. So it was before this segment was being put together. And maybe that's why it wasn't included. But I guess he told a bunch of family members. He basically confessed to a bunch of family members that he'd killed Jessalyn. He said where he told them where the body was. Um, I guess that's how police are making the connection is where he said where the body was is where they found the remains in 1985. Okay. Um, and then he gave a bunch of details about how he'd done it. And then I, apparently that lines up with, you know, the forensic evidence they found on the remains. But the DNA match hasn't been made. So the family's kind of like still thinking it had something to do with the prison corruption. Okay. Um, yeah. That doesn't that. I mean, even without the DNA evidence, I'm kind of like, mm, this actually just seems like she just got murdered in an unrelated way <laughs> to that. Yeah, I mean, it's possible people get murdered for <laughs> unrelated <laughs> reasons all the time. Yeah. As we see in uh, the show. So that's kind of the update, is it's like, Jessalyn's murder is basically solved. Okay. Just not to the satisfaction of her family members or former co-workers. Alrighty. So, well. Um, well, that was not a fun segment. No. Uh <laughs> Before before we get to our next segment, they did run an update, mm-hmm. uh, though we've already seen the update because we saw the segment. It was uh, about Kathy yeah. Williams Loving, who uh, her yeah. uh, abusive stepfather uh, was going to just send her away, have her sent away to a, like a reform gr- school girl thing, um, and for some reason the deputy driving the van that was taking her there. Like she was able, found found her appeals to him compelling enough to do whatever he did that 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 resulted in the situation being undone. So uh, at least we get some sort of happy happiness shoved into this otherwise episode crammed full of literal unsolved mysteries. Hopping down back to Louisiana. Actually, went to Louisiana this time. Yes, uh, we we follow the uh, story of AJ Bro, B R E A U X, mm-hmm. um, who uh, he what ran a clothing store. He was a clothing store salesman. Um, the reenactment has him. Yeah, he was a. Yeah, he was selling clothes. Yeah, the, the reenactment, the re, in the reenactment, the first glimpse we get of him is, you know, he's dressed in a suit and he's outside the clothing store leaning against a parking meter, just sort of waving and pointing to everyone he sees. And I don't know if they're doing mm-hmm. this to so, so as to suggest, you know, like, because they're talking about what a friendly person he was and, you know, how much he liked everyone, whether they're trying... Maybe they were trying to suggest this, but the thing that automatically my mind went to was like, it seemed to be suggesting that the clothing store wasn't doing very well. 
<laughs> so he's out there trying right. to open the ring in some business. Um, but in addition to being a clothing salesman, he was also heavily involved with um, uh, sort of sobriety type groups. Uh, he mm-hmm. got, became involved with something called the Easy Does It Club, which was an alcohol support group. Everyone described him as being yeah. someone that if someone was was having a, a crisis involving their their battle against alcoholism, they could just call him up and he would, you know, he would be there for them, right? And he'd be like, hey, easy does it. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the club. Why do you, why can't I remember that ever? Uh, yes. Very good. Um And then we have this description of like, there was like a, a long night at one of the big assembly at one of these clubs. And then when he was done, we, we have a, there was a cashier who saw him buy a quart of milk, uh, on his way home. And Mm -hmm. if, did you notice in the reenactment, the way the re uh, the reenactor padded the quart of milk as he, as he was leaving the shop, he padded it like a baby's bottom. (laughs) Sort of, yeah. Like, uh, you know, they, they conducted their transaction and they gave it like three or four or maybe even five, like, da 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 <laughs> I don't know. It just... You gotta spank your milk to make sure it's good, right? <laughs> right, right. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but he didn't arrive home. And then it was like, what, a couple days later, someone had noticed that his car was parked out in a, a local, I guess, county park or something. So mm-hmm. his daughters, all three of his daughters arrive in a van um, to try to, you know, check it out. And they're, they're, you know, they're looking around. They don't see him in it. Um, they're waiting for, I don't know, I, I guess like a, a, a detective to show up. And one of the daughters recounts that she just had this sinking feeling that like, we're going to mm-hmm. find his body in the trunk, which I mean, yeah. If, if if she was adamant about it, she's like, "We're gonna find him in the trunk. That's it." Right. She was convinced. Yeah, she's she's trying to get like the detective to open it, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa wait a second, hold on. Before we do anything, let me." I, know, I guess he just talks into his walkie-talkie or whatever. But yeah, she was so like convinced. But yeah, no, AJ was not in the trunk. But apparently, according to several individuals, he was. At all sorts of places afterwards, because one guy recounts yeah. uh, stopping at a convenience store and AJ's on the on the payphone. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a Zoomer, a payphone is this phone. Oh, we've <laughs> described payment phones before. You, you understand the concept by now. Um, right. I was uh, Robbie. I was in Santa Rosa a couple weeks ago, downtown Santa Rosa. And there was just like in the middle of the sidewalk, not even against a building, but just like a standalone kiosk <gasps> of a payphone. And it still had, yeah, it still had the handset and everything attached. Oh, man. It, like it had just appeared there from like out of the ground from back in time. Oh, it was wow. amazing. Wow. You know, okay, I, 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 I almost thought about like calling you from it, but I didn't have any change. I was going to like call you and be like, guess what? I'm on a payphone. Can you believe it? That would have been hysterical. I would have, I would have like more than any gift that would, I would appreciate that for <laughs> just, just the, I should have done it. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm sure I could have scrounged a quarter up 
somewhere. But yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, I was, it was wild. I still, wild. I still, I've seen a few pay phones in the last couple of years. I mean, they are few and far between, but I have seen them. They still do exist, though they are about as plentiful as probably drive-in movie theaters are nowadays. Um, mm. But, uh, uh, which, I mean, I know everyone hates it when we talk about Reno, but Reno, well, actually, Sparks, technically, uh, mm-hmm. has a drive-in movie theater. One of, one of the few mm-hmm. still in existence. Just a little, just a little Reno yeah, Sparks well, trivia for you, folks. Um, where I lived in Sacramento, they still, it was still going strong off of Highway 50. Oh, cool. I think it was Highway 50. It might have been off the 80. But yeah, it was still like a popular venue. People still went to the drive-in. And I have to imagine with COVID, like we've had numerous like drive-in pop-up cinemas show up in like mall parking lots and stuff, even right. where I live. So I think it's back, baby. I think oh. the drive-in is back. <laughs> I, uh, I dig that. I may have to uh, be more active about patronizing such businesses. Um, yeah, so like... I'm sorry, I'm still talking about payphones. I was just going to say, I wish there was one that was really immediately available to me because then I could engage in some some good quality prank calls against people I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, but anyway. Uh, Is that at your your age an appropriate thing to do? Probably not, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, go ahead up that phone in Santa Rosa. It's there. It's like, it was like a relic. It was amazing. I, uh, that uh, I'm glad to have that information available to me anyway. So this guy (laughs) stops to, um, you know, like a convenience store or something. And AJ's on the payphone, and he he stops to say Mm -hmm. hi. And like, I mean, AJ's trying to, like, avoid contact, but when it's been actively, you know, like, the guy's like, hey, it's like, so he's like, oh, hi, just, you know, something to try to, like, an obligatory Mm -hmm. thing that he helps him move it along. Then the guy tries to shake his hand, and AJ, he's not, he's not extending this hand. And so the guy, like, Mm -hmm. confused, just sort of, like, keeps walking. I guess he looks back, and he said that, like, I guess I guess it was highly unusual for AJ to be dressed like a lumberjack, um, but right. but apparently yeah, this guy Kenneth Pellegrin is the guy who saw him at the convenience store, and he's known AJ his entire life basically. And he said AJ was always really sharply dressed, right? Which he I guess had his makes... hair come. So see him so disheveled was sort of disturbing, you know? Yes, and then like there's this r- small red car with like three guys in it. And they're, they, they, they obviously are, like, waiting on AJ. And we get a description from another person who was grabbing his mail, saw AJ riding in a red car uh, uh, with, you know, several other individuals that, you know, passes by him while he's getting his mail. The guy tries to wave, and AJ doesn't reciprocate. And you see, like, the look on the guy's face, like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That was cold, AJ. Uh, and I guess I guess that whole thing about AJ being like such a warm and friendly guy is, is helping to emphasize just how how peculiar this behavior is. 
there's this weird note that's get gets sent to the police where it's like the notes trying to suggest that like AJ accidentally shot himself and then someone bury buried him or disposed of the body. Uh, but and, and that AJ shot himself because he was in, extremely drunk and it was an accident. But the when they read out the note, like it's grammar and syntax syntax is so horrible that it sounds it reads like someone was drunk when they were writing the note mm-hmm. um and yeah. it, what was really strange is it comes in it came in written on like a uh like a note card like you use to write notes for yeah. for your biology exam <laughs> yeah yeah and it was signed by someone in quotes th- in quotes, it was signed by someone named Helene. Helene. So yeah, I guess but the Helene was in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> in the note. <laughs> okay. This this was yeah. So a lot like I guess like the it's put forward that this the the note was probably just a cruel prank, but then we get like another mm-hmm. interesting thing where this woman's just sitting on a rocking chair out in the front porch enjoying what I must assume is a hot and miserable Louisiana morning. So I'm not sure why she isn't inside. Mm-hmm. And this red van pulls up and this guy in the reenactment played by the same guy who plays AJ in the reenactment comes up with and asks her if she wants to buy some frozen fish. But I mean, we're not talking mm-hmm. like out of like packages from like a, you know, like a processing plant or something like it's from a, it's in a big Ziploc bag. <laughs> Like like three or mm-hmm. four large fish fl- frozen fish fillets in a sip ziploc bag, and you know he looks really disheveled. And like the the woman said that like he stopped and turned back to look at her as he was walking away, and that's when she was like, "That's that guy in those missing posters at the post office." And she went in mm-hmm. and identified him. So at this point we're we're wondering like so aj was aj kidnapped by some guys in a red car who you know i guess i mean trying to get him to i guess do things for them or get money and now at some point maybe they they've broken him so badly that they can just send him out on solo missions in a van to do door to door frozen fish selling <laughs> Yeah, maybe it was the fish cartel. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of any other alternative explanations, so I'm willing to entertain that as an idea. Oh man, it yeah. Then we get like there's there's some uh supplemental thing where some like county park worker or something he saw he said he saw like he allegedly saw some guy being hustled out of his car into another car by like a bunch of got like, like three other guys, but the car in his description in the reenactment that he's being hustled into is white, not red. But I mean, maybe these, maybe the fish, I mean, the fish cartel probably have more than just one car at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how the, in the reenactment, the guy, the County guy park guy sees this, when he sees what looks like a kidnapping, he immediately ducks behind behind a tree, which is exactly the sort of heroism that you could expect out of me as well. <laughs> 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 uh, 
He's like, I'll, I'll try to observe as much as I can, and I'll relay it to the authorities. And, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stepping into that because I don't want to be, I don't want to be forced into like to spend the rest of my life doing door to door frozen fish selling either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, this segment ended without an update. So I'm assuming that unless you came across something in your extra no. credit, no, <laughs> shit, no extra credit, no extra update, nothing remains unsolved. Uh, AJ was legally declared dead in 1998, though. That's my only update. But okay, it's not because they have a resolution on what happened to him. So they just figure he's not going to turn up. Gotcha. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, this was a it was a really interesting episode of Unsolved Mysteries, but uh, no updates at all for any of these segments, no. except for the update segment. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, this 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 one was a uh, you know zero and three record. Um, yeah, because like the thing is, is with the show going on for as long as it has, especially like mm-hmm. I mean, and the. You know, so much time has elapsed since since then that even if we don't get unsolved mysteries made updates, we at least get those white texts where it's like, yeah, you know, 25 years later, someone found the guy or whatever. And it's just mm-hmm. enough time usually has gone by that in any of these episodes, we're at least going to get some updates. But this one was uh, coming coming up empty. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good episode, though. I think so. What did you think? Like, oh, yeah, it was very interesting. Like, all three segments, Yeah, interesting subject matter. I, I didn't have to watch any lost love bullshit. Um, <laughs> I liked it. The, 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 like you said, they're, they're up in their game with the UFOs. Um, yeah. I'm really fixated on, like... Why AJ was trying to sell frozen fish door to door. All very interesting. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what the day rate is for a reenactor that gets set on fire and has to speak three languages convincingly. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> pretty wide skill set. <laughs> Uh, hey, Robbie, listen, if uh, what do people will do if they want to get in touch with us? go to facebook go to reenacted fans uh group um twitter we're at reenacted pod and for sending us emails it's reenacted pod at gmail.com and we also have the patreon um if you're a patron of our patreon uh you know that the last episode that came out last Wednesday, you got that a full two weeks ahead of time uh, on the Patreon feed. And so we're going to tr- we're going to try and be a little bit more regular about putting bonus episodes and early release episodes and other treats up there. Um, so if you want to help us keep this uh, choo choo on the podcast tracks, because <laughs> it costs money to make this thing, let me tell you. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash reenacted pod. It's $5 a month to become a supporter and you get access to all that stuff. And also sometimes Robbie like sends you a little fun treat in the mail. I'm not going to promise that, but sometimes he does that. Yeah. 
too yeah. for you. It's been done to happen. If you, uh, which kind of, you know, goes against the point of raising the money. (laughs) 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 Um, you know, this isn't really a capitalist enterprise anyway. Uh, so Robbie, do you want to, do you want to do the thing? Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. The shit. um, Same thing. You do it every time. Yeah. But, but, um, it's, but the, they changed, you know, they, 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 they changed the words. They changed it a lot more. Um, join us next week for this timely and heart-rendering story as we commemorate Veterans Day on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs>